football is back, and Domino's Hawaii couldn't be more excited. Our community has been through a lot this year, and so to show our appreciation for all your efforts and sacrifice, we'd like to do our part in helping you enjoy the games by offering large specialty pizzas for $15.99 and our new buffalo wings for $5.99. Just log on to the Domino's Hawaii website or app, and remember, while you watch your favorite team, you can be assured that our team continues to make your health and safety a top priority. What's up, Jordan? How's it going, my man? Have you uh, gotten the vaccine yet? Uh, I actually got the first <laughs> shot. I did. Did you? Yeah. Yeah. I moonlight as a, uh, uh, an essential worker, apparently. Um, yeah, I do some work for the county. So I had submitted my information because they just said, hey, you know, you might as well go for it. And um, I, I, was, I was accepted. And I figure, you know, they, they tell you, right? It's like, hey, the more people that can get vaccinated, the better, I guess. So. Sure. Yeah. So well, congratulations. It's an honor for me to be on this podcast with someone yeah, of I, such a high vaccine priority tier. I have not mutated in any way that I know yet. You know, <laughs> I, I, I feel okay. So it's um, so far so good. Yeah, I'm only halfway good. there, though. I got to go get the other one. And apparently, That's it's true. a little dicey. You know, we have the a little second short. one is, yeah, the second yeah, one is where it gets a little hairy. So, yeah. yeah. So, okay. Did you get the Pfizer or the Moderna? I got the Pfizer. Ooh, ooh. I would have gone with the Moderna, and, and, and I think you know why. Because it sounds Portuguese. Moderna. Like, I swear to God, that I, when I first heard that, I was like, is that a Portuguese vaccine? I'm going might, with that it one. It might be. It might be. <laughs> well, congratulations. Welcome to uh, another episode here. Let's Talk Sports with Kanoa Leahy and Jordan Helly, uh, who is halfway there uh, to being um, a little bit more equipped to handle this whole a pandemic thing but uh, we start with our pregame the warm-up uh, the hula bowl takes place this sunday it is the 75th edition of the game jordan you and i worked the broadcast last year on cbs sports network uh, but the celebrity coaches is a major part of the hula bowl setup and certainly the luster and you have rex ryan coming back to defend his victory uh, from a year ago but on the other sideline as the head coach this time is mike singletary legendary chicago bears linebacker hall of famer you as a chicago bears fan i know that that gets you excited uh, so i kind of wanted to defer to you here for our pregame warm-up topic who is your favorite Chicago Bear of all time? Oh, man, I've always sort of revered the running backs, like going back to Gale Sayers and, of course, Walter Payton. But I never really saw them play, right? I mean, that's before my time. Uh, so just by pure favorite Bear of all time, I'm a little biased, of course, because he's a Hawaii guy. But it's Olin Krutz. Nah. Like Olin Krutz, not only will you see a Hawaii guy, St. Louis grad, right? But he was such a bad dude like he was the like he was the 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 sort of mindset of Chicago Bears right we talk about the mid monsters of the midway and we know all about the defenses and whatnot but he was just such a anchor at center right and it's not like the Bears had good offenses it's not like the Bears had great quarterbacks lining up behind him over the years but they could always run the football and it was because of Olin like Olin was the man um, and you know, centers, nobody pays attention to that, but we did because he's one of our guys. And, and I always just loved Olin because he was tough. It's nails. Uh, he was down in the trenches. And, uh, so yeah, for that, he's, he's my favorite bear. He's, do, he's still doing media work in Chicago. He does a great job. Um, there, uh, on some local television and whatnot. He's great on Twitter and everything. So yeah, Olin's my guy. Olin's my bear. 
Yeah, that's a pretty good pick. I, I think not just because of the fact that he's a former St. Louis Crusader. I go back uh, to Kalaniano Ole Athletic Club days with Olin playing uh, against him in basketball and baseball. And he was bullying people around back then, too. I mean, he was he was the alpha uh, back in those days. And then to take his career to the highest level in the most sort of alpha of all sports right in terms of physical demand and all of that and to be still the alpha among all of those guys uh, that's a pretty remarkable feat so yeah Olin Krutz is a pretty good pick uh, I also love Refrigerator Perry just because I think that's one of the best nicknames uh, in the history of sports uh, but yeah Olin Krutz getting into a little bit of the media game so taking almost a, a career turn similar to the guest that we're gonna have here on this episode of the podcast Brian Baldinger 12-year NFL veteran, now an NFL broadcaster and analyst, currently with the NFL Network. You probably have seen a bunch of his uh, online clips, Baldi's breakdowns. He does it on television, does it on social media. The guy has kind of become a bit of an institution unto himself, comes from a, a fantastic football family. Uh, he has two brothers who also played uh, extensively in the NFL. So, uh, yeah, we got Baldi on here uh, talking story with us in just a little bit. Yeah, great guy. Another terrific offensive lineman turned media person, right? He's a great follow on Twitter, all kinds of uh, really interesting breakdowns on the film side and, and high energy guy, right? He's a football guy. It was a lot of fun talking story with him. Yeah. And he'll be on the call as the color analyst for the hula bowl on CBS sports network on Sunday. He has the misfortune of having to work alongside me for that broadcast, but uh, Hey, at least he gets to stay in Hawaii for a little bit of time. All right, let's move on to our game time. And the Super Bowl is set, Jordan. We'll definitely get into this topic a little bit with Baldy. Uh, it would be certainly a bad move on our part not to do so. Uh, but it is obviously one of the biggest sports stories here over the course of the next couple of weeks. So uh, it's set, the matchup, Chiefs and Bucks. There are some people who are suggesting that this may be the best or at least most intriguing quarterback matchup in Super Bowl history. Tom Brady... Patrick Mahomes, 18 years apart, I believe, Tom Brady, uh, who is already solidifying his reputation and legacy as the GOAT and has a chance to further do so. Patrick Mahomes, who has a chance to solidify his status as perhaps the guy that's going to overtake Tom Brady one day. Uh, what do you make of this matchup? How does it strike you? Thrilled. I, I was sort of in the camp that I thought Chiefs Packers would have been the best matchup. They were obviously the two number one seeds, but I thought Mahomes Rodgers would have been the most fun. Uh, but Tom Brady just keeps proving that anytime you sort of write him off or anytime you sort of say that, you know, may, may, maybe his time has passed, we're on to, to the new age and whatnot. He just goes out and proves everybody wrong, right? He just finds ways to win. And I know a lot of people were bagging on him for the second half with the three picks and whatnot. I feel like those people forgot to watch the first half or something like that. Like they had short-term memory. In the first half, he was ridiculous. That defense for the Bucs, uh, I think, is probably the best antidote for what the Chiefs have out there on offense that they will have played up to this point, you know, in the playoffs. And I know they already played in the regular season. I know what Tyreek Hill did in the first quarter of that regular season matchup. Uh, but this team on the defensive side for Tampa Bay is really rolling right now. We get into a little bit of that with Baldy. So yeah, it's, it's great from all the different angles the the matchups in the trenches out on the perimeter, but it's the quarterbacks, right? That's, that's what makes these things. And we, you think of other sports, right? You never got Michael and Kobe in a finals or something like that. You never got Kobe LeBron in a finals. 
Uh, but we're going to get two guys who are in the GOAT conversation, right? Like, the, the legitimate GOAT conversation. At least we expect that to be with Patrick Mahomes if he keeps on this pace, right? Three seasons as a starting quarterback, three trips to the championship game, and two obviously here in the Super Bowl now. We're going to get that. We're going to get Brady and Mahomes where you can actually have that conversation 15 years down the line or something like that. It's like, well, oh, remember the time they actually played each other? You know, it's a little magic, Michael, right, in, in that sense where it's like, okay, magic was very much at the tail end of his career but Michael won, and then he went on to win five more, and then all of a sudden the conversation becomes a lot different. And you kind of get a similar feeling with Patrick Mahomes, right? Doesn't he feel like young Michael where he's getting in, he's breaking through, he's got to go through all old man Tom Brady? I'm excited. I think this is going to be great next Sunday. Yeah, I, I thought of that as well. I, I thought that the Jordan Magic matchup in Jordan's first NBA Finals uh, victory was the closest, perhaps, to this scenario. But, you know, I don't know how many people at that time were saying that Magic Johnson was the consensus greatest of all time. I mean, mm -hmm. I think there were some people, certainly, that were putting him up there, but it, it wasn't as widely adopted a concept. Uh, whereas here, I think you have Tom Brady. It's almost undeniable at this point uh, to suggest otherwise, that he has not had the greatest quarterback career uh, of all time by a long shot, really. And, and Patrick Mahomes, the guy who just, in terms of his skill set, does things we've never really seen before. Uh, and so, yeah, it is very much, I think, kind of Jordan-esque uh, in the way this guy has established himself already at, at such a young age. Uh, it's very exciting. And I agree with you. You know, I, I, you start to think who – maybe benefits most from winning in this matchup, right? I mean, you have Tom Brady who went through a gauntlet uh, to get to this point, right? Having to beat both Drew Brees and Aaron Rodgers on the road en route to the Super Bowl. Um, and then you have Patrick Mahomes on the other side here in this matchup. So if Tom Brady were to win this Super Bowl game, and remember, it's being played in Tampa, uh, so there might be some advantage there. But if Tom Brady were to win, if the Bucs were to win this matchup, then Tom Brady would have gone through Drew Brees, Aaron Rodgers, and Patrick Mahomes. And I think that that kind of puts it even further out there when you say that Tom Brady is the greatest of all time, because I don't know if you could find another gauntlet that would have that kind of Hall of Fame panache for any quarterback to have fought through en route to a championship. So, uh, yeah, Patrick Mahomes, you know, he'll probably get a lot more opportunities for this. I, I know that that can be a little presumptuous. It doesn't always work out that way when you think about it. Uh, but you imagine he'll get many more opportunities. If Tom Brady wins in this specific iteration, first year with another team, uh, you see what the Patriots have become without him. You see what the Buccaneers were before him. Uh, and if he were to emerge as the champion here, I mean, uh, I think he's already out in orbit as, as far as, as his name recognition and as far as his status. Uh, but this puts him, you know, into another galaxy altogether. Ten Super Bowls, if he wins seven of them. It's just the well, never – I mean, maybe Mahomes, right? Maybe Mahomes. He's like the only guy you can imagine even coming close. But, you know, he's 14 – conference championship games in 19 years as a starter like the numbers the, the further you dive into them are just they're absurd they really are and, and I think I'm with you it's it's undeniable at this point it, it, it you can't to me you can't really make a strong argument that he isn't the best to ever play quarterback yeah, it's, it's, pretty, it's pretty remarkable. All right, well, speaking of quarterbacks and, and even high-profile quarterbacks, uh, many of them are facing some uncertain futures at this point. Deshaun Watson uh, of the Texans uh, reportedly has asked for a trade out of that franchise. Matt Stafford is reportedly on the trading block for my Detroit Lions. Aaron Rodgers, there are some reports that maybe he's open to the idea of getting out of Dodge uh, from Green Bay after that NFC Championship game loss. 
Um, which of these high-profile quarterbacks do you think, if you were in charge of a franchise, you would be most trying to maneuver to acquire? Yeah, it's still Deshaun Watson, right, just because of his age. And I, and I know Aaron Rodgers, right? If you can get one or two years of Aaron Rodgers yeah. and you feel like you got a team that's ready to go win a Super Bowl, why wouldn't you, right? But I think Deshaun Watson is that good, right? He led the league in passing this year on a team that wasn't all that great. Um, his skill set is as dynamic as anybody in the league. And that includes, I think, a guy like Patrick Mahomes, what Deshaun Watson can do throwing the ball. And then obviously what he can do with his legs as well. Um, he's a guy that I, I think we have seen carry that franchise for, for a number of years now, right? They've been in the playoffs quite routinely since he got in the league. And honestly, even before that with the Texans, which also leads you to question why in the world is it such a toxic mess down there, yeah. you know, with that franchise. But it, it, to me, it's Watson, right? I, I don't think you can go wrong with a lot of those guys. I've, I've heard some Matt Stafford slander on some, some publications and, and some talking heads. And I know you're a Lions guy and, and guys saying that the Rams would be stupid to go get him because he's not an upgrade on Jared Goff. And I just almost, you know, spit out the water I was drinking um, because I think that's comical. And it's like, have you seen Matt Stafford play? Um, but I, I still think it's Watson based on his age, his, the way his contract is structured currently. Um, Rogers is a guy that, you know, you'd be stupid not to go after if he does become available. Right. I think Rogers in his very passive aggressive way has put the Packers on notice. Like he's kind of tired of some of the stuff. Right. And whether he's right or wrong, that's, that's sort of where he feels at this point. Um, and a guy like Matt Stafford, I think can make a, a mid-level contender pretty dangerous if you can go get him. Um, but yeah, Watson's my guy, even in this situation. And, and obviously he's been dominating the headlines. All right, we switch over from the NFL to the UFC and a big fight this past weekend. Dustin Poirier knocking out Conor McGregor, much to the surprise of many. A second-round TKO at UFC 257 in Abu Dhabi. The lightweight contender avenged a first-round knockout at the hands of McGregor in a featherweight bout back in 2014. Poirier was a plus 275 underdog. So it brings us now to the question, right, in terms of matchmaking, in terms of putting together these popular pay-per-view high-revenue legacy fights. What should be next for the guy that lost this past weekend, Notorious? Yeah, it's kind of interesting, right? Because now all of a sudden his future comes into question once again and not because he wants to go off and and fighting boxing matches or something like that, or he's into sort of trouble outside of the octagon. It's like, oh, you know, he lost in a pretty dramatic way to a guy that, that he had obviously defeated handily the first time around. That was years ago. But it's sort of, okay, where does he fit in the mix, right? Because there are a lot of other guys out there who are making a name and, and right there, especially in that lightweight division, right? And, and so much is yet to be seen as to whether Khabib Nurmagomedov decides to come back and, and – and end his retirement, which is short-lived at this point. But you, you look at a guy like Poirier, right? You look at a guy like Justin Gaethje. I'd almost like to see him in Conor McGregor. And I know they've talked about Nate Diaz. It's sort of like been there, done that. Like we've seen it. It's also, it also happened a while ago. And maybe people want to see it just because of all the, the lead-up fireworks and talking that'll go on. But, I mean, a guy like Michael Chandler, right? I, I feel like that hasn't been talked a bunch about. He, he's a guy who – Came onto the scene in a big way, right, in the fight just before that, the, the co-main event, if you will. A guy who we've seen do very well in Bellator, a guy who we saw at the Blaisdell just a couple of years ago, right? Was it 2018, I think, on that uh, dual card, right, the Friday-Saturday card? And, and um, you know, a guy that um, I think is looking to challenge for a title shot very, very quickly, 
right? And, and maybe he earned it with what he did against Hooker, Dan Hooker on last, uh, last week's Saturday. Uh, but he's a guy that I think could be pretty intriguing because he's sort of the new guy, right? And if you go through Connor, and then next thing you know, I think you're up there with the, the elite in that division uh, after being over in Bellator for so long. So I don't know, I'd kind of like to see maybe that fight or something like that, you know, make, make Chandler go through another guy and then you get Connor a, a chance to redeem himself before you, you throw him back to some, some rematches, if you will. The notorious B.I.G. matchup is notorious M.A.X. It's got to be Max. It's got to be Max Holloway. And I know that right now there are different weight classes, but Max Holloway, we talked about this in the last episode. It's time for him to get some legacy fight opportunities. And hey, look, maybe he'd be punching up a little bit here, but he's coming off of one of the most dominant performances in the history of the sport. Uh, And so I don't think that there's a time where Max Holloway's name carries as much sexiness and sort of as much interest and intrigue as it does right now in this moment and Conor McGregor coming off of a loss I think that changes the paradigm a little bit in terms of you know who you can put him up against it doesn't really justify as much now the idea of Khabib coming out of retirement to fight him once again yeah you can do the third fight uh, and the rubber match, if you will, against Nate Diaz. But you're right. I, 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 you know, we've kind of been there, done that to a degree. And I want to see Conor McGregor and Max Holloway. It's a very similar type of, of matchup as, as McGregor and Poirier, where years later, after Conor McGregor beat Max by decision, years later now, here are two fighters in completely different phases and different stages of their careers. What would it look like now? That's the fight I want to see. I want to see Conor McGregor and Max Holloway. I don't know how realistic that is from a business standpoint, uh, but you know that that thing would just make tons and tons of money uh, on pay-per-view watches, especially here in the islands. Yeah, I mean, sign me up. Maybe we got to find out who's the maybe the best boxer. Right? There you in go. The UFC. Like, let's, let's like him get at it. No, it'd be fun, right? And Obviously, Connor's a much different guy than back then, too. But, yeah, juxtaposing, like, young Max, right, when he was just skin and bones in that first fight versus him now uh, as sort of the, the, the wily veteran himself, that'd be, that would be a lot of fun. And, yeah, and yeah I, I, I'm, I'm all on board the Max just legacy fight train belt. Who cares? <laughs> yeah. Who cares at this point? Exactly. I'm with you all the way. By the way, shouts to another Hawaii fighter, Brad Tavares. Also got a victory earlier on that UFC 257 card, a unanimous decision over Antonio Carlos Jr. for his first win in nearly three years. So uh, big ups to Brad for that. Hawaii MLB vets on the move here, Jordan. Uh, this happened pretty late in the week last week, so we didn't really get a chance to uh, talk about this in our last episode. But uh, a couple of guys uh, who we're very familiar with, Maui's Kurt Suzuki at the age of 37, has signed a free agent deal with the Angels. One year, $1.5 million deal. Reportedly had other offers with more money attached to it, uh, but was partial to signing with the Halos, right? He returns back, in essence, to the place uh, where he played his college ball at Fullerton. Uh, He is entering his 15th major league season. Uh, They're looking at him to catch probably two to three times a week. He's not going to be an everyday catcher. That hasn't been the case for him in some time. Uh, But the way he calls a game has been something that has been invaluable uh, to the franchises that he's been associated with. Max Scherzer says that he's the best catcher and and signal caller he has ever worked with. And so uh, to get that from one of the best in the game, I think, speaks volumes about the value of Kurt Suzuki. 
you also have Kauai's Kirby Yates, who reached a one-year deal with the Blue Jays. Uh, we don't know all of the terms of that one, but it did include a $5.5 million bonus. That's pretty nice. Yates is coming off an injury-shortened season, but was considered one of the best relievers in baseball the previous two years for the Padres. Actually led the majors in 2019 with 41 saves. So which Island guy signing is most intriguing at this point to you? Yeah, you know, the Kirby Yates story, right? The Yates brothers story is just incredible. And obviously Kirby coming off of the the injury last year is going to be really interesting to watch because he's a guy, right? He didn't make his major league debut until he was 27, right? A, a little bit later than a guy like Kurt. And, and that 2019 season where he was an all-star was just incredible. The 41 saves, right? Sort of out of nowhere. His other five seasons combined, he's got 17 saves. Right. So, I mean, it, can he recapture what he had in 2018? But but to me, still, it, it, it's Kurt because of a lot of the reasons that you talked about for an Angels team, an Angels franchise that has perpetually underachieved with a guy named Mike Trout as the, the heart and soul in the face of that franchise. And I think Kurt is a guy as under the radar assigning as it is that I think they feel is part of the glue and fabric that's going to help take that team over the top, right? It's a, it's a rotation that doesn't have a lot of name stars. And so you bring Kurt's experience there. He adds another veteran voice to, you know, I mean, this is a lineup with Pujols and Anthony Rendon, who he knows very well, obviously from his time in Washington, Shohei Otani, you know, you still got Justin Upton there. So it, it's a veteran lineup. And, and look, Kurt hit 270 last year. It was a shortened season, right? He only played in 30 something games. Uh, but he's a guy that's been still swinging a good bat since he has sort of transitioned to that shared part-time role the last three, four years um, or so. And so I, I think he is a guy on a team that expects to contend, right, that hasn't been in the playoff conversation, even though they've got arguably the best player of this generation, maybe even of all time, when you look at Mike Trout's stats. So they, I, I think for, for Kurt, he is a critical critical piece as they try to solidify that thing with Joe Madden second year as they try to go maybe chase a, a, a playoff position, which they haven't smelt in a while. Yeah, I think you had uh, the Angels who were seeking perhaps a, a guy considered obviously younger and maybe a little more uh, well-rounded overall as a catcher is James McCann, but uh, the Angels weren't able to secure him. So uh, their plan B to some degree was Kurt Suzuki, but I think you're looking at a pitching staff for the Angels uh, that struggled. They produced a 5.52 collective ERA last season, which is pretty ghastly, uh, certainly by comparison to some of the other uh, contenders, even in their division. And so uh, I think you bring in a guy like Kurt Suzuki, and I think there's confidence that he will immediately bring that ERA down just by virtue of the way he calls a game. Uh, I think perhaps what's more intriguing is just what's being collected in Toronto, right? What the Blue Jays are trying to do. Like, they're making moves. They bring George Springer, one of the great postseason players, uh, really – that we've ever seen uh, over from Houston uh, along with several other moves and here bringing Kirby Yates in like they're, they're positioning themselves to make a run for this thing. Whereas the angels are trying to find an identity and, and heal up some things that just have not really worked here uh, in previous seasons, despite the fact that as you alluded to, they have a transcendent talent in Mike Trout. All right, time now for the Domino's Hawaii main topping, and we're talking with Baldy. Brian Baldinger, as mentioned, he played 12 years in the NFL, a player turned broadcaster, currently with the NFL Network. Baldy's breakdowns, check it out all over social media, YouTube, Twitter, Instagram, you name it. Uh, the guy's a really great uh, dude to talk to, and so we'll get into everything with him, as you will hear. So let's go ahead and run that interview.
All right, what's up, Baldy? How you doing, man? Uh, first off, welcome to the islands, and uh, this is kind of an interesting setup here for you. I mean, there's a lot of uh, really great names associated with this hula bowl this year yeah. on the sidelines, certainly among the rosters, and, and you're being uh, here for the game as, as an announcer, I think, also adds uh, some credence and credibility. How did this come about? Was it your former teammate, Rich Miano, that hit you up? Yeah, he, well, he hit me up uh, last year, but, you know, Jordan was all set to go, so I, mean, <laughs> I, I, couldn't, I couldn't bump Jordan. Um, normally, this week, uh, I'm at the Pro Bowl, and we tape a show that I started a couple years ago called Film Sessions. So, I mean, we have great access to, you know, some of the league's best players, so we set up a film room there, and Kurt Warner and myself, or Ron Jaworski, I mean, we, we sat down with players over the last couple of seasons, and since they canceled the Pro Bowl this year, I was like, you know, all right, well, I'm free. And so Rich kept bugging me, come on, man, come on over to the <laughs> islands. And I always come here anyways, but usually after the season's over, or at least, you know, when the Pro Bowl used to be here. So I couldn't pass up an opportunity to come to Hawaii, man. I feel like uh, the Mianos are my Hawaiian family, you know. So <laughs> so uh, I couldn't I couldn't resist. And so here we are, you know, we're like we're a couple days away, man. I'm, I'm looking at a final roster here, I think. So, uh, you know, I'm getting ready. Yeah, no, it's really cool to have you uh, as part of this thing. And uh, I guess, you know, even though it's a really complex time and, and complex situation when it comes to traveling to the islands, uh, it's not that bad here in Hawaii no. now with, with as, as few people there are in Waikiki these days. I know. It's unbelievable, man. It's, it, it feels like the apocalypse has come. I mean, normally you're walking through Waikiki, even at this hour of the day, and, you know, there's just hordes of people, you know, going up and down and the restaurants are full and, it's just not like that. Even walking last night, I mean, it's just, you know, people still are, you know, apprehensive about coming. But, I mean, I would tell anybody right now that it's, it feels safe. Uh, I got on my plane. I got my, you know, I got my COVID test. It was negative. Take my temperature everywhere I go, wear the mask, the whole thing. And, you know, man, once you get here, it's, it's like, uh, you know, it's like it always is. You know, it, it feels great to be outside and in the, in the Hawaiian weather. Well, I do want to talk Hula Bowl and, and Super Bowl with you, uh, among other topics. But um, what strikes me as amazing about your career is you played 12 years in the NFL. You come from a family of professional football players, two brothers who also had extended uh, careers in pro football. Uh, and then you went into broadcasting. And, and here you have made an incredible name for yourself after your playing career. Football has been, as they say, really, really good to you. Yeah, it's been good to me, Kanawha. And, uh, you know, I've been lucky. I've been lucky. I mean, I kind of did what I wanted to do, <clears throat> you know, from all ends of the broadcasting thing. I started off, you know, I mean, obviously offensive linemen don't have the biggest names. And so uh, you kind of have to do all the, all the things to kind of, you know, pay the bills so that you can learn how to do it and get to position to do it. So, I mean, I was lucky. I got, I, I, I timed it up when I got done by Sikahema, you know, you know, by, uh, we all kind of started together. We, we, we finished playing with Philadelphia in 1994. He went into local television, did really good. He just retired. I mean, he's going to be over here next week, so we can't wait to see each other. But uh, he's back in Utah now. But uh, really, you know, cable TV had just started uh, in Philadelphia, Comcast, and I kind of got an early start at Comcast. And then uh, Fox really had started with the NFL Europe League, and they sent me over to Europe, and I got a chance to do games with, with a lot of different guys. And, then they brought me on to the NFL side uh, on Sundays and NFL on Fox. And I did that for a long time. And then I did college. So, I mean, just kind of 
I caught the wave, you know, if we were in Hawaii, I caught the wave and, uh, you know, I, I was, I was lucky, but I did all the little things necessary. Did the local radio. Um, you know, I did all the, uh, all, all the little things that you, that you want to do that you, that you kind of have to do in order to learn the skills to be good at it. Yeah. Advice to him, another, uh, former guest on this podcast right here. We, oh, yeah, uh, right? we, we love, Vi, we love Vi yeah. as well. Um, you know, and it, it's so interesting because the the wave has sort of taken you into social media right and twitter yeah. and and the the film breakdowns that you do um what the the film breakdowns was that always something that that you sort of took to you know during your playing days and and transferring that uh because it's great stuff well to be honest with you jordan uh you know i always was a big film guy always studied my opponent and all that and i always thought that was interesting to me um, you know, X's and O's to executives and, you know, the guys wearing the suits, isn't that, they're not always that interested, which is okay. I mean, they, they, you know, they think differently than an offense alignment, which is fine. But I, I used to, um, do this show for the NFL network called the aftermath and Daniel Jeremiah, you know, who's our, uh, draft expert at the NFL. And he's, I mean, this guy's really, really good at what he does. But anyways, so what happened was. I was in LA and uh, doing the show, but you know, we would, we go air at noon. So I wanted to watch as much tape as possible. So I would get, I'd come back from an NFL game and fly to LA and I'd get up at four and I'd, and I'd be in the film room at five o'clock. So Daniel Jeremiah, he was living way south to LA. And so to beat the traffic, he would leave at four. So we would meet together and watch these games and get ready for the show, like at five in the morning. And you know, he was a, he's a great scout, you know, he got a really good eagle eye. And so we'd sit there in the film room, you know, five o'clock, drink a cup of coffee, talk about the games, go, and we'd start looking at these plays and we'd go, wow, look at what he just did on that play. Or, wow, look at like, you know, and so we'd start seeing things that nobody else is talking about and we'd bring it to the show. And I thought, and every once in a while we'd put a camera up, you know, our iPhone up and we'd take a little you know, snippet of it. And, you know, this is, I wasn't on Twitter yet or anything like that. It's like 2015. But he, would, he was on Twitter, and he would put it on there. And I was, like, anti-Twitter, you know. So I was, like, I still had a flip phone. And, uh, and I, I kind of saw what he was doing, what we were doing, and how this could be interesting. And then in 2017 or 18, I just said, hell with it. Because we weren't supposed to post it. Like, it was a protected film. And I was like, ah, screw it. Like, these fans want to see this stuff. Let's show it to them. And, you know, as soon as I started doing it, the way I knew it was connecting – I knew the fans liked it, but like if I did something on Luke Keekley, like he was retweeting it like in real time, you know, or something on Richard Sherman, you know, he would like, I knew the players were start, really started to watch. And now, like now I know that the players watch and the coaches watch, like, you know, uh, I do as much as I can now. Yeah. That's so fascinating. Cause I, I, I bring up the, the social media aspect of it because, you know, now you don't have to wait for the aftermath at noon, right. To, right. to get access to this content, you can get it directly to fans. And I, and I feel like, whereas maybe, you know, not even five, 10 years ago, the X's and O's were, were less sexy, maybe right. As you mentioned to the, to the TV executives, but now the, the average fan sort of eats this stuff up from, from our oh, yeah. perspective. You know, anyway. it's interesting, Jordan, because I, I, learned uh, how to edit everything um like i i got finger works to give me all their software and i would promote them and they would promote me so it was a good win-win and i was but it was very time consuming you know you you, know, you gotta you gotta put it into a you know into a, a database 
you got to upload it. You got to, you know, you got to play with it to get just, you know, the, the X's and the arrows and the spot shadows just right. And just to do one piece, it would, it would take me 45 minutes. And what I found was fans didn't care about, you know, being high tech. They just raw on the iPhone. They liked it. And really what's happened is, like, I don't know about you, Jordan, but I don't watch a lot of television anymore. And, you know, kids that are on their iPhones, they're not watching TV. You know, we, we've seen that. It's, it's kind of dead. Even the NFL Network, a lot of shows, people aren't watching. But they'll watch snippets on social media, YouTube. You know, I got – and so what I've done is I created, like, a, a real workforce at the NFL Network that does stuff just for YouTube, that does stuff just for Twitter for me, you know, that will take – like, they whitelisted me so I could do eight-minute videos or ten-minute videos, and they'll upload them for me. So I've got, I don't know, anywhere from 20 or 30 different people um, in different areas, kind of working on my behalf that really helped me out, get this stuff out there. And then I'll just do a, a ton of stuff myself, but really that's where it's at right now. Social media is where it's at. And really whatever you want to do, I would tell anybody right now, Jordan, you know, whether it's podcast or whatever it is that you want to do, TikTok, there's outlets to, to show what you want to do, that what you like to do, that doesn't have to be football. It can be anything like you, you've got a forum right now. You just have to go build your audience. Well, on Sunday, it's back in the booth for you here for the Hula Bowl on uh, CBS Sports Network. I'll have the privilege of working alongside you. I apologize in advance. But uh, <laughs> this is an interesting I was telling game. everybody back in the mainland that I get a chance to work with Kanoa. You know? <laughs> We're like, man, I, 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 an island gardener, man. <laughs> um, this is a really interesting setup, though, for the Hula Bowl because – you know, I, I feel like your presence here adds a lot because you you shared the same perspective as a lot of these players. These aren't guys who are projected as top three round picks. A lot of them will be undrafted free agents like you were coming out of Duke. Uh, and yet a lot of them have the ability to definitely play and succeed at the NFL level. So uh, what do you make of this final opportunity, if you will, for these guys to, to show what they're made of for some of the scouts? You know, I was telling these guys last night at dinner, we were eating some pizza last night. And we're up there at the restaurant. And I was telling them, like, every rep today is important. Like, I, I, I run into a lot of scouts, some agents. And I said, you know, you're, you're fortunate because, really, there's no East-West Shrine game this year. There's no really combine. The workouts are going to be very Zoomed, you know, and very virtual. And so you get a chance live today, tomorrow, Sunday during the game you know, if you're not at the senior bowl, I mean, that's, you know, that's the big granddaddy, which is fine. But, like, not everybody gets invited to the, to the senior bowl. I know a lot of guys in the league that are great players that, you know, didn't get invited to the senior bowl, didn't get invited to the combine. But here they are playing in the league. So it's about opportunity and making it, taking advantage of the opportunity. And I saw yesterday just at the one practice I was at and going to this morning in this afternoon's practice, I saw guys that have talent. They caught my eye. And, you know, and like all these guys, they need an opportunity. They need to be coached. They have to learn a system. Uh, but the guys I've met so far, and I've met a lot of them, first of all, they're, they're very smart. They're focused. They want to be here. Um, I mean, why wouldn't you, right? But, but beyond <laughs> why, they want to be here. They, they know that this might be their last chance. Maybe it leads to another opportunity. And so, you know, I, I'm, I'm looking at these practices like a scout's looking at them, looking for movement. You know, I'm looking for, you know, speed. You know, I've seen some guys that can flat out run. You know, I'm listening to the coaches and what they're telling me. So uh, this is a great, great chance for all these players. I mean, there's over 100 guys here, Kanoa. 
that's a great chance for all of them. Are you surprised, because this is such a strange set of circumstances, where basically this past football season or the semblance of a football season was a free year for all these guys. So all of these players could have come back for one more year of college next season. But if you put yourself into their shoes, how would you have broken down that decision uh, as far as to try for the draft this year or maybe take advantage of playing one more year? Well, I mean, everybody's circumstance is different, okay? So in my, in my mind, I, I like college. I would have stayed. Uh, I would have, you know, gotten another degree or worked on something, you know, you know, as far as school, I would have taken advantage of it. Um, but I, I would have stayed for another year. Cause I don't think like this is a good year to value. I mean, it's going to be tough. Some teams really go off the tape, you know, and really study the tape to evaluate players. And some teams really look at the analytics and the numbers and the measure measurables. And so I, I thought, you know, pack if you're a pack 10 kid this year you had a very limited schedule you know if you were a mac school guy like you didn't play and so i don't know i i would have i would have stayed but the, here they are and so once you make that commitment like it's got to be all in and so you know guys make commitment for different reasons um you know some of it's financial some of it's hardship some of it is you know uh, i'm ready you know whatever it is you just once you make that commitment you got to go all out I know you've been uh, enjoying the water and, and whatnot there, uh, Brian, on, on Oahu, but have you had a chance to sort of dive into to some of the names that you expect to see on Sunday at, at Aloha Stadium? Any guys that sort of stand out uh, yeah. that we can be looking for as we watch the Hula Bowl? You know, I was, I was talking to this kid last night from Oregon State, Isaiah Dunn. And, you know, it's weird because, like, the number on his program is the number that he's wearing at practice. So the first thing I asked him about is, are you, are you 22 or 33? Like, I know who you are. Um because I think he's a really good player. But, yeah, he's 33. He's not even listed right in the program right now. But we'll make sure. But, yeah, he can – he's a tall corner. Uh, Jordan, he's a tall corner that can run. I watched him, you know, chase down some go balls yesterday. And I watched his back pedal coming out of the break. He's very smooth. And so, you know, and he's played against some good – he played against Brian and Ayuk for two years at Arizona State. So, like, you you could go full tape on Isaiah Dunn and see him against good players. Um, you know – to the quarterbacks, David Moore, you know, caught my eye, you know, at Central Michigan. Um, he, he can really throw a deep ball, man. Like, he, and he's a good athlete. He's, he's a bright kid, real good personality. You see him talking to all the players. You know, I was looking at some, some linemen yesterday. There's this guy, um, number uh, Braylon Jones out of Houston, number 55. You know, I'm only talking about Ina players right now, George, because I haven't seen Kai team yet. I'm going to see him this morning. But, like, that guy caught my eye. You know, in fact, I texted a general manager in the league. God, I don't know, you know, if you watch a lot of Houston, I know, um, you know, I don't know how much, how many games they played this year, but, you know, just size, movement, watching them pull yesterday, watching them just lock guys out. Looks like he's got, you know, a lot of things that, what it takes. Yeah, kind of on that note, uh, how much do you, and you kind of touched a little bit on this earlier, but with some of your connections in the league, guys working in front offices and whatnot, um, how much has this game sort of, been on the radar the last couple of years this is the second year the, the hula bowl um you know is it is it gaining traction you think it, 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 from from a nfl scouting standpoint well i think it should like i know the main scouts are at the senior bowl and, and rightfully so so you know most of the staffs are there but i've talked to guys from around the league here scouts from around the league i i think you'd be i think if the team doesn't have representatives here they're making a big mistake because you just never know where you're going to find a player it, you got to fill out the bottom of your roster. Let's face it. A lot of these guys are going to start at the bottom of the roster. Now, 
Who knows? Isaiah Dunn maybe becomes a starting corner late. You don't know. But I, you you have to go anywhere you can go. I mean, I live in Philly, Jordan. So, like, Jordan Malata was a rugby player in New Zealand three years ago. To in my mind, he's a top five left tackle in the league right now. And he never put a football uniform on. So if you're not looking for guys that are hungry, looking for guys that want an opportunity, looking for guys that have skills, and you're not uncovering, you know, every opportunity to go find them, then you're not doing your job. And so I think this is a great opportunity. I've seen, you know, there was a guy here last year, the MVP of the game, remember him well, like he, he went to the Giants this year. I saw him intercept a pass. I saw him recover a fumble. I mean, he took advantage. He didn't play a lot of snaps, but when he was out there, he made he made his time worthwhile. He's on that roster right now. Yeah, you're talking about Nico Lalos yeah. out of Dartmouth, who yeah, ended up being the, the MVP or yeah. one of the MVPs from the defensive side last year and, and was not drafted, was a, 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 an undrafted free agent signing. Yeah. And you're right, a contributor uh, to the Giants. There were two other players who actually were drafted. So the opportunity is certainly there for these guys uh, if, if, if they take advantage of it. There's no question. I mean, they canceled the Canadian Football League last year. That's out. They canceled, you know, the XFL. That's out. So, I mean, th there's the NFL right now. And how do you get there? There's a 90-man roster. Um, you know, you, you, you've got to find a way to get on a 90-man roster. And then once you get there, you know, then that's, that's, the, that's the next step, right, to, to, make, to get to a roster. And then once you get there, you know, next July, to take advantage of it. But I told these kids last night, I told an agent last night, every day that you can put a pair of pads on and go hit somebody, go cover somebody, you know, go make some, you know, go catch a ball against somebody. Like, it's about competition. I was talking to Mike Singletary yesterday, you know, at practice. You know, we, me and Mike, we come from a different era. You know, we, Buddy Ryan, you know, in Chicago and Tom Landry in, in Dallas, when we started, I mean, we hit every day. We, every day was training camp. And it was, you know, we, we never took the pads off. I mean, it, it's a different era. I understand player safety, all of that. But it's hard to learn the game. It's hard to learn how to play right guard without playing right guard. It's hard not to learn how to go run block and, you know, pass block against live, you know, live pass rushes. So they're getting an opportunity for four days to do that. I mean, every day you have a chance to get better right now. Well, for some of these guys, they will perhaps realize their dream and play in the NFL. And once they get there, then the dream transitions to playing in a Super Bowl. And we actually have the Super Bowl matchup yeah. set at Chiefs-Bucks. You have the, the very sexy quarterback matchup of perhaps the GOAT, Tom Brady, and perhaps the guy who's projected to be the next GOAT, if you will, Patrick Mahomes. What do you make of this matchup? Chiefs are the three-point favorite at the moment. Consensus uh, seem to be getting most of the, uh, the gambling money put on their side. Mm -hmm. uh, but what do you make of this matchup here? I think it's, I think it's awesome. I mean, you know, you start with Patrick Mahomes. You just have to start with Patrick Mahomes because we've never seen anything like it. You know? We've never seen any player come into this league and dominate this league the way he has. And, you know, it's interesting because I do Big 12 games and did them for eight or nine years. And I, I remember doing Patrick Mahomes' first start at Texas Tech. I knew Cliff Kingsbury really well. Did a lot of games out in Lubbock. And we knew that Patrick Mahomes had talent, but not this. We, we didn't know this. And, and, you know, I remember this, the whole – I remember seeing him at the Super Bowl in Houston three years ago. And I, he was with Lee Steinberger's agent. And I remember talking to him, asking him, like – and we knew each other a little bit. I said, what, what were they saying, Pat? Like, are you 
they have me in the free. He goes, ah, probably second round right now. Second round seems like the right thing. And then, you know, Kansas City makes that monster trade. And then you find out, you know, Sean Payton, John Gruden, they all, you know, were thought he was the best quarterback. And here he is. So it starts there. Andy Reid, you know, I mean, Andy Reid was in Philly and I was there. And, you know, I've known Andy since he came in the league in 1999. And, you know, his staff is amazing. Steve Spagnuolo, when he was out of football two years ago, he was in my office at NFL Films. You know, watching college tape, really studying the college game because he, he thought it was all coming, the RPOs and spread offenses. So, I, you know, and they, they beat Tampa in week 12. But this Tampa team, you know, like they've, they've got seven takeaways in three pre postseason games. They've got six touchdowns off those takeaways. I, I, I think if I had to start a defense right now, I'd start it with Devin White. I mean, I think he would be my central player on my defense, if I could choose any player in the league right now, because he doesn't have a weakness. He runs like the wind. He hits everything that moves. And he looks like he's just one of those guys that gets the ball and makes things happen. But, you know, Tom Brady, look, we, we, the superlatives, like you just keep, they, they just keep rolling. They just keep coming, you know, and he's just an amazing, he's an amazing leader. Like I call him the general. He, he loves that role of being the leader. You know, he, he loves, and, and it's in a way that players love it. I mean, it's always been that way. You, you talk to old offense linemen in New England when he first started. They, they said the same thing about him, you know, and then you talk to the coaches and the players, and now you talk to these guys. Like I call Brady's bunch. He's got Antonio Brown there. He's got Gronk there. You know, he's got Leonard Fournette. Like, he picked up the phone and called him, come on, come to the compound. Let's hang out. Let's have fun. Let's, you know, let's, let's, let's see what we can do. And they're all there, you know. And so he, he's just we, – we, we'll never see another guy. I mean, you know, Patrick Mahomes has the chance. But I don't know that we'll ever see another guy like Tom Brady. Yeah, it's, it's absolutely incredible. Baldy, uh, I wanted to ask you about that Chiefs offensive line because we, we talk about those skill guys all the time, right, and, and deservedly yeah. so. They're ridiculous. And Patrick Mahomes, you already touched on it. Um, but that, that offensive line has been decimated. I, I, mean, I think much more than even people realize. And now they're probably down Eric Fisher, you know, for the Super Bowl at left tackle. The, the left guard was out early in the season. They've been patchwork. How have they been able to do it and, and keep up this kind of offensive production with, with such a patchwork group up front? Yeah, well, Andy Heck is the offensive line coach. He's been amazing. I mean, they've lost both starting tackles. Now, Mitchell Schwartz was as good as any right tackle in the league for the last five years. Didn't miss a game until this year. I mean, he was as steady as a rock. And Eric Fisher was really good, you know, in the offense that they're in. And some offenses he might struggle. But he was really good at what he did. You know, uh, Patrick Mahomes makes up a difference. But right now, Mike Remmer's at left tackle. You know, you've got Allegretti at left guard. You've got Ryder at center. You know, they brought back Wisniewski, who started for him last year in the Super Bowl, who was a backup filling in. Won a Super Bowl in, in three years ago with Philadelphia as well. He looks like he's on his last legs. Pittsburgh cut him this year, you know, and then you've got Wiley, Andrew Wiley going from right guard to right tackle. Um, they, they played the last 17 game uh, plays of the AFC championship game together. That's not a lot of time together. And you got a lot of guys in different spots um, against Jason G uh, Pierre Paul and Shaq Barrett and Vita Vea. I think it, it could be a big storyline, Jordan, a big storyline. You're seeing the very last guys available, really, to Kansas City right now. And if any of those guys go down the game, they're really going to be hurting right now. 
Yeah, it's 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 incredible to watch just how they've been able to piece it together. Uh, who you got? Who 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 you who you got winning the thing? Well, I, I you know I'd be foolish to bet against Patrick Mahomes. I still got time to kind of figure this out, but I I think Tampa is the hot team right now. I just think they're the hot team. I think you know Antonio Brown will be healthy and back. Um, Jason Pierre-Paul looks a lot like he did in 2011 right now. Uh, Shaq Barrett is uh, is having a great postseason. This, uh, you know, this Sean Murphy bunting is their slot defender. And, I, you know, I don't know that anybody can match up with some of the guys that they have, you know, Tyreek Hill and Nicole Hardman, but he's certainly going to give them a good shot. And I like Ty Bowles. I'm leaning towards Tampa here in an upset right now, Jordan. How much would you have enjoyed playing in this era where schematically things are so much more pass oriented, it seems, at least that's, especially when you have one of those uh, elite quarterbacks, it seems to lean that way. How, how, how much would you have enjoyed playing uh, in this style of, of football? Well, I think I would have enjoyed any era. I, I, the one thing that would have been tough is when I played, most of the starting defense line played most of the game. So you all got tired together, you know, <laughs> like in the fourth quarter and two-minute drills and overtime, you all kind of got winded together. But, you know, offensive linemen, obviously, we, you know, we, we play the whole game. But now with all the substitutions coming in, I mean, you get fresh bodies in front of you all the time. That would have bugged me. Like, I would have talked some junk to those guys, you know, like, well, you know, how hard is it to go play 12 plays, you know, in a game? Like, I mean, you know, I can pull people off the street and play 12 plays. You know, so that would have been a little tough. But, uh, you know, playing game, playing football for a living would have been good in any era, you know. Yeah, as long as you get a chance to knock some people around at some yeah. point, I think that would, have, uh, that would have quenched the thirst for sure. Yeah, no, no doubt. I mean, it's, it's a special game. I tell everybody, you know, like, I say God bless America going to work every day when I was playing football. So, you know, I, I was, it, was, it was a blessing. I loved my teammates. I loved uh, everything about it. I liked the offseason, playing golf. You know, drinking beers, working out. I like, you know, the season, Thursday night dinners, Saturday breakfasts, camaraderie. I love, you know, the card games on the wins going home. I like the off-season basketball, you know, games for charity. I mean, I, I liked every aspect of it. Well, your career arc has been remarkable. It's great to have you here in the islands. Uh, looking forward to Sunday and working with you. And uh, I'll see you again soon, my man. I'll see you this weekend, Canal. Jordan, take care, buddy. I hope I can fill those shoes, man. <laughs> oh, don't you worry. Thanks, Brian. All right. See you guys. All right. Thanks once again to Brian Baldinger for joining us. That was a lot of fun. Time now for our post-game best and worst. Brought to you by Waste Pro Hawaii, Maui's premier full-service refuse company offering various sizes of dumpsters and roll-off containers for commercial construction and residential use. Family-owned and operated with over 40 years of service to the Maui community, Waste Pro Hawaii is committed to customer service and responsible waste management. Visit wasteprohawaii.com for services information. All right, let's go with our best. What is your best, Jordan? Yeah, my best, uh, the WAC, the Western Athletic Conference, longtime former home of the University of Hawaii Athletic Institutions, uh, earlier this month, they announced they're expanding and they're bringing back football. Uh, they're bringing up a bunch of uh, FCS and 1AA schools, uh, Abilene Christian, Lamar, Sam Houston State, Stephen F. Austin, Southern Utah, they're all making the leap from FCS to FBS. And of course, the WAC is already home to you know Southern Utah, um, New Mexico State, 
And so they're, they're going to they're gonna bring back football. And I don't know if it's going to work. It's also just the zaniest conference that maybe has ever existed in the history of, like, big-time college athletics, Division 1A, FCS college athletics. Uh, and this is a far cry from, like, BYU winning the national championship or the mega days of the 16-team whack of the 90s. But the whack has always been a fun football conference, right? What? whether it was Hawaii throwing it all over the lot, it was wide open offenses, Boise State doing their thing, TCU for a time, right? Utah back in the day. It's always been a fun football conference. It was always weird that whack, the WAC just sort of disintegrated with all of the realignment and everything. Uh, so I'm all for the WAC bringing back football. Again, it might be a terrible idea, but it's always been fun. And I, I'm, uh, I think I'm, I'm intrigued. I'm intrigued here. It's a lot of Texas schools. It ranges all the way up to like Seattle U and basketball and all this. It does not a lot of the black makes sense. Um, but I think it's going to be a, a thrill ride. So uh, whack football. It's back, baby. Yeah. Call them the Bigfoot conference or something. Cause that footprint over the course of time <laughs> has just been the biggest of any conference. It's ridiculous. Yeah. They're going to start as an FCS conference in 2022 and they're going to have the goal of working their way up collectively to the FBS. So it's going to be an interesting transition and journey for the Western Athletic Conference. All right, my best. Uh, we didn't really talk on it in the main topics section, uh, but UH Hoops winning three of four last weekend versus Cal State Fullerton. I'm talking about the men's team uh, splitting their road series with Fullerton and the Rainbow Wahine actually winning two games, their first uh, two wins in Big West Conference play. Uh, the men had lost four in a row, including the opening night against the Titans. And so it was kind of a come to Jesus type of moment for them. Reportedly, the players had a discussion within the locker room, challenged one another. It really came down to a bit of effort, really came down to a bit of, of passion and inspiration, which the Rainbow Warriors seemingly were playing without in that four-game losing streak. Uh, and so kudos to them for being able to turn it around, kind of show once again what it's going to take for them to compete. But a big matchup here this weekend on both sides. Uh, you have UC Irvine coming into town to play the men uh, Friday and Saturday night. Irvine is the, the big dog of the Big West these days. They've won three out of the last four regular season titles, five out of the last seven. They're 4-0 here in the Big West coming in this weekend. And then on the women's side, the Wahine are going to be on the road against Irvine, and Irvine is uh, competing uh, at the top of the standings on the women's side as well. But just wanted to give a shout-out to Rainbow Warrior and Rainbow Wahine Hoops uh, it was a losing weekend the previous weekend all around, and they were able to flip the script a little bit here last week. Yeah, it was great to see, right? We're talking about on the podcast, like, oh, man, which team are you more worried about? Like, you know, it's seemingly a rocky road ahead. And then they went out and collectively won three or four. So a little sigh of relief. It was, it was nice to see last weekend. All right. What's your worst? Uh, my worst. I'm going to go with the GameStop thing. Uh, you could have made this your best. You could have made this your worst. It could have been anything in between. And it has been fascinating, right? And I don't have any money. I don't have any shares of GameStop. Uh, so I have no financial interest in this thing. But I know a lot of guys who did or do as this thing, this roller coaster, right? And it is just, just how bizarre it all is. It just sort of seems like this is the beginning of the end times, right? This whole last 18 months has been whatever. But you've got like polar opposites in Congress agreeing with each other on Twitter, like Dave Portnoy is like a hero, the barstool guy now. Um, we've got day traders, right? Like uh, with the Robin Hood app thing where, where they're out here and, and really living up to the name of the app and they're going to take down the big hedge funds and, and Wall Street and the establishment and then Robin Hood turns on them. And it's just, it's got the makings of a movie and there's no doubt we're going to have one, right? 
it's going to be, it's going to be, it'll be all the big names. They'll cast them, right? Jonah Hill will probably have a role in it. Uh, it's going to be absolutely entertaining and it has been in real time. Uh, but it just, it's everything about it. It just gets weirder and weirder and crazier and crazier. Um, and I hope you guys cashed out. Maybe, I don't know. Uh, maybe you're riding it, right? We're all taking the rocket to the moon. I see it. It's Reddit. It's Twitter. It's incredible. Um, but I, 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 I'm just a little worried that it might be the sign of the end times without like you got people agreeing with each other that would never in the million years. And here we are. And wow. What a, what a ride this has been. Adam McKay will probably write and direct that movie about <laughs> this situation. It'll probably be really, really good and intriguing. I have watched so much and read so much about this subject, and I still have really no idea what is <laughs> happening here. Uh, I'm having such a hard time understanding the intricacies and nuances of this thing. Uh, all I know is what's funny to me, the, the Wall Street brass, right? The establishment, as you referred to it, the, the hedge fund bros always talk about trickle-down economics, right? And hey, look, you know, all of these uh, individual traders and, you know, people that are perhaps on the poor side of the economic fence, they just got to pull up their bootstraps. They got to they gotta just invest. They got to be smart with their money, right? And then it gets flipped on them, right? And all of a sudden, they're in the disadvantageous position, and they're the ones that are complaining and asking for relief. It's always talked about the market, the free market will bear out as the market will bear out. Uh, and yet here are these hedge fund bros who are basically complaining that things got flipped uh, on its side against them. And it's like, hey guys, don't worry. Uh, even if all the individual traders, even if, if they make all of this money, it'll trickle down to you guys. Just hang on, don't worry, it'll be okay. So I really don't know all the intricacies of this thing, but that struck me as uh, deeply ironic. It, it's been great because I don't have any skin in this game. So it's <laughs> yeah. been wildly entertaining from the sideline. If I had money on it, boy, I think I'd be losing hair over this thing. All right, so my worst is Eric Bieniemy not being named one of the head coaches of the teams that was seeking a head coach. And um, this is not the first year that there has been a revolving door of coaches uh, elsewhere in the league uh, that did not include the naming of Eric Bieniemy. And I'm not sure if there's something going on behind the scenes, uh, if there's some personality quirk about Eric Bieniemy that's not really being reported, so we're not being led to consider that. Uh, all I know is here is this top assistant of Andy Reid, a uh, guy who has coordinated that offense. Uh, and there have been many others before him in that role who have gone on to be head coaches. And yet there's Eric Bieniemy, a, a man of color who is once again being overlooked as a head coach. I was definitely rooting for my Detroit Lions to bring Eric Bieniemy into the fold. Instead, they go with uh, Dan Campbell, who is, I think, basically a uh, testosterone pill with legs. And, um, and so, yeah, I, I don't know. I, my worst is the fact that Eric Bieniemy is still not a head coach in the league, even though uh, he seems to be in the prime position. Yeah, I'm with you. The Bears, my team, didn't even have a head coaching opening, but I wanted them to fire the coach. <laughs> Matt Nagy to hire Eric Bieniemy. I wanted the, the the Bears to fire Ryan Pace, the GM, and go get Lewis Riddick, another guy who keeps interviewing for jobs. The ESPN, you know, NFL analyst and former front office guy. He can't get a front office job either. It's crazy. Um, the perfect summation of all of this. Uh, I, I go to our friend Billy Hall at Billy Hall on Twitter. If you want to bother him, part-time guest host of this year podcast. His tweet, I think, summed it up watching the, the AFC championship game and tweeting it in real time. Quote, how is there an NFL team without a coach watching this and saying, you know what, I don't want to run this offense. I'll pass on the offensive coordinator, dot, dot, dot. Yeah. I couldn't have said it any better myself. So shouts to you, Billy. 
because seriously, how do you watch that offense and be like, nah, that's not what I want my team to look like. Uh, it wasn't to be, so that is my worst, and that is our best and worst. Brought to you by WastePro Hawaii, Maui-owned, Maui-operated for Maui's people. All right, hit us up on Twitter at Kanoa Leahy, at Jordan Helley, or at TalkSports808. Thanks once again to Brian Baldinger for joining us. Jordan, we'll do it again next week. See you, man.